This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Thank you, not only for the introduction, but thank you for the invitation to be here. Uh, I'm a Texan, but you can cut me some slack, right? So Truett Seminary is one of the 12 schools and colleges of Baylor University. So if you've heard of Chip and Joanna Gaines, that's Waco, okay? Uh, Pronounced Waco, not Waco, although those of us who are from Waco sometimes can rightly be referred to as wacko. James has asked me to preach from Jeremiah 33 verses 14 through 18. As it happens, this is my fourth time in British Columbia and uh, my favorite time is the present time. My wife Carolyn and I uh, honeymooned in British Columbia 30 years ago. All that means is that I'm really, really getting old. And so it's good to be back my first time to Trinity Western, although I know some of your professors, including Dr. Tony Cummins, who is here this morning. We know one another from uh, time spent in Britain a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Do you all have a Bible? You don't bring Bibles. Do you have one on a phone? I don't know. But could I read this passage? Uh, this is Jeremiah 33. And I want to read verses 14 through 18 because that's what I was assigned. And I know how to do an assignment, okay? Do you think that a New Testament professor would automatically reach to Jeremiah 33, 14 to 18? The answer to that question is no. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord is our righteousness. Importantly and uh, interestingly, this is an aside, the name Zedekiah, which was the last king of Judah, means the Lord is righteous. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to make grain offerings, and to make sacrifices for all time. Lord, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts so that they might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. I don't know how much you know about Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah lived and ministered in the 6th century and 5th century B.C. 
He is that prophet who is known as the weeping prophet because he spoke a word of judgment that was to come. There are many places within Jeremiah where one can see this as a part of his ministry, but perhaps the best place is in chapter 8 where Jeremiah frames the questions. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes, here you go, a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. It's true, isn't it, that ministry is not about being successful, it's about being faithful. And ministry will not necessarily make us happy, but to the extent that we are being true to that which holy God has called us to, that's what ministry is all about. This was I, uh, Jeremiah the prophet's call, and he was being faithful to the same. It would be a mistake, however, to think of Jeremiah the prophet as only speaking words of weeping and words of mourning. For it is also true that woven through the prophecy that is Jeremiah's is, in fact, a word of hope. Now, we think of a passage like Jeremiah 29. Behold, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's uh, plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. But these are not the only words of hope spoken to those who had been deported, spoken to those exiles that were now in Babylon where they're encouraged to seek the welfare of the city. In fact, in chapters 30 to 33 of the book of Jeremiah, we have what is known as the book of consolation. So the prophet speaks to the people these words of hope in the midst of their own deportation, in their own isolation, feeling as if though they had been forgotten of God. And so Jeremiah says to these exiles that the day is coming when I will fulfill the promise. Earlier in the prophecy, Jeremiah has spoken this word of promise to the people in chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. We read these words. Jeremiah writes, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So, Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16, are a refrain of that promise which has been spoken to the people earlier in the prophecy in chapter 23. 
And here's the point. Because of this branch, this shoot of which Isaiah 11 also speaks, this growth, this upshot, Israel, Judah, will have a king, will have a priest, and they will be saved and safe through the Lord, the righteous one. The Apostle Paul speaks of the fact that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem us from the curse of the law. New Testament authors wonder, ponder the question if, can, uh, posed in Matthew 20, uh, 12, 29, can this one, that is this Jesus, be the son of David? And they answer in unison with a resounding yes. A Canaanite woman wonders, even as she bears witness, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. The crowds, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on that Sunday that we now call Palm Sunday, declare, Hosanna, praise to the Son of David. Blind Bartimaeus pleads, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus self-describes as son of David, but yet one greater than David, as the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Yes, Romans 1 reveals and describes the son as descended from David according to the flesh, even as 2 Timothy 2.5 does the same, and then Revelation. 5.5 refers to Jesus as, watch, the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Root of David. So this King, this Priest, anticipated, longed for, promised, New Testament declares, is none other than this Jesus. The promise was that there would be a king, there would be a priest who would save, who would make righteous. And we see that in Jesus, we have one who can save us, who can save us from our sins, who can save us from ourself. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's a wonderful thing to be right-wise with God, to be put to rights with God. But God not only saves us through Christ from our sin, but God saves us for something too. He doesn't only save us from things. He saves us for things. As Jesus is instructing His disciples, we see in Matthew 28, as Jesus is about to ascend to
to his father, going to prepare a place for us so that as he goes, he will come again and he'll receive us unto himself. Jesus says, as you go, make disciples, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe whatsoever things that I have commanded you. And behold, be mindful of the fact that I am with you always. I am Emmanuel, even until the end of the age. For friends, the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Messiah, and He shall reign forever and ever. In Jeremiah 33, the Lord says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. In that same chapter, prior to the text upon which we focused, we hear, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. For this, we can give God great thanks. Would you please pray with me? Our Lord and our God, we are grateful for your grace showered upon us in the person of Jesus. Thank you for his mission of mercy that he has drawn near to us so that we might draw near to you. God, we're grateful that when we were yet sinful, that Christ died for us. Our priest who is a king came close to us, tabernacled among us, full of grace, full of truth. God, we're grateful today that grace is not some kind of abstract concept, but grace has a face. And we, this day, long to seek the Lord while He may be found so that our lives would be full of freedom so that the ones the sun sets free will be free indeed. God, thank you for these students, for their lives, for the gifts you've entrusted to them. Lord, thank you that more and more they are being fashioned and formed into your image and likeness. And we ask, God, that you would so teach them and equip them and disciple them that you would continue to use them, not only now, but in the days ahead. God, we're grateful that you've come near to us in the Lord Jesus, that you are true to your promises. And in Jesus Christ, all your promises are yes. And we're grateful for the one who is the Amen, time and again and again, even Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the people said, Amen. that's the one. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, 
encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.